Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, uh, if you have them, to John. Okay, we're going to go to John in a few minutes, but it'll take us a few minutes to get there. Uh, we are continuing in a series, as Jay alluded to, a series called Who We Are Becoming. And uh, I have not emphasized, as we've been in this series at the beginning of the new year here, uh, the title of this series, emphasizing who we are, see in parenthesis there, becoming. Because we've been talking about our, our mission as a church, our vision, who, who we want to be, but it's interesting, if, and those of you that know about mission statements, if you ever put those together as, as organizations, you know that a mission statement is both true to life as well as aspirational, right? Uh, so we are saying this is who we are becoming. It's who we are in part, but it's who we want to be even more, right? So we are growing in our mission. We are growing in our discipleship. We're growing as followers of Jesus, okay? And we've said, we've reminded ourselves of our mission statement, uh, is centering lives on Jesus Christ. Centering lives on Jesus Christ through biblical teaching, authentic worship, uh, genuine community, and holistic mission, okay? And I just realized that that's the wrong slide because last week I showed you that we made a change. We have to take this slide out back and, and blow it up. Uh, blow it in the ethosphere or whatever that is. Um, sorry about that. That was my fault, actually, I think. Um, where was I? I was talking about who we are becoming, yeah, for the last five weeks. Um, Mission statements are realistic, but they're also aspirational. We, we are still growing in to who we are becoming, right? And so we are centering lives on Jesus Christ. And, and the way we've, we've tried to define that over the last weeks is we've talked about the great commandment and the great commission. Two great passages that Jesus gives us in both in Matthew. The great commandment to love God and love others and then the great commission to make disciples. So when we are centering lives on Jesus Christ, we're attempting to love God, love others, and make disciples. And we are doing that to varying degrees of fruitfulness and faithfulness, right? We are becoming better in love with God. We are becoming better lovers of one another. We are becoming better disciples and disciple makers. We are in process, but we have not yet arrived. We are becoming, right? What we're doing in these upcoming weeks is I want to take a look at those four strategies, if you will, that were incorrectly displayed just a minute ago, but uh, biblical teaching genuine community, authentic worship, and holistic mission. And today, I want us to focus on the second one in the correct order, uh, the second one being authentic worship. Because I think uh, you and I both, and a church, as a church corporately, we can grow in both our understanding as well as our practice of this idea of being worshipers, okay? Worshipers. So uh, if we're going to define authentic worship, 
uh, which I'm going to attempt to define and describe this morning what we mean by authentic worship. We need a target, don't we? We need a definition or a description of what we mean by worship. We have to know what we're aiming at, right? Yesterday, as a family, we had an awesome opportunity to go up to the country, up north, to Howe, Texas, to hang out with some friends uh, who live up there on 30 acres. Some of you know uh, who I'm talking about. They used to attend here until they moved, you know, inches from Oklahoma way up there. But we drove 40 minutes up to Howe, and what do you do in the country other than fish, ride horses, and what else? Shoot stuff, right? You get out the arsenal and you shoot at stuff. We didn't shoot any helpless furry animals, but we set up a target and uh, we just got out a small, you know, AR-15 and uh, decided we'd go to town on this piece of steel out, you know, 75 yards away because we needed, here I'm, here's my point, we needed a target, right? And I tried first. Yeah, wasn't that great? And then uh, my wife tried first time, hit the target. And I was like, you know what? That is a different scope than I was using. Let me try it again. And I used the scope that she had and I hit it, okay? And so here's the point. You need, okay, to aim at something, you need a target. You need a good scope. You need to know what you're attempting to hit. Another part of the story is that Jamie said, now be sure, and if you're going to miss the target, miss low, okay? Because this is AR-15, and it'll keep going for a couple miles if you hit the if you miss the target. So if you're going to miss, miss low. But when you're shooting at something, you have a target. And if our aim is to center lives on Jesus Christ, and if our aim is to be worshipers, we need a definition, we need a target. And so I'm going to attempt to offer us this morning, uh, in other words, a target. So uh, there's a little card that's newly produced and next to you in the seats. If you don't have it, grab it. And uh, I'm not going to read this card to you because I assume that some of you uh, can read. Uh, But what we will do is we'll read the relevant part today on um, the back side, the front side. I think it's the back side. Uh, This side. Uh, under authentic worship. And here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to read the verse, Psalm 34, 3, together, and then I'm going to read the little paragraph above it, okay? So let's say this uh, in unison together, okay, brothers and sisters? Can we do that? Psalm 34, 3, here we go. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 34, 3. And let me read you the uh, paragraph that we've honed over time uh, right above it, okay? Authentic worship. Centering lives on Jesus necessitates consistently seeking him, offering ourselves to him, and receiving from him. 
Our worship gatherings exalt God. They focus and fuel our walk with Jesus. Our aim is to remember, celebrate, confess, sing, observe the sacraments, pray, and hear the word of God together in such a way that we leave our gatherings in greater awe of Jesus and more inspired to center our lives upon him. Okay? A description, if you will, of what we're seeking to do as we talk about authentic worship. And the the phrase authentic worship is primarily talking about as we gather as a body, as brothers and sisters, this corporate worship gathering. And some of you immediately say, hey, you know, Ross, hold on just a second. That's not all that worship is. And guess what? You're right. I'm glad you said that. Because worship is not just this 75 minutes that we gather together as a church family. Worship is broader than that. And that's what I want to talk about as we get into kind of a definition here this morning. Worship is multifaceted. And to offer you kind of a, a, a an understanding or an outline, if you will, of worship, I'm borrowing, I'm stealing from a guy named Mike Cosper. Okay, Garrett and I have been reading this book called Rhythms of Grace. Uh, and Mike Cosper, in his book, he offers us a great little outline for how we think about worship. Okay? Because here's, here's my hunch, my strong hunch, that when we talk about worship or when you think about the word worship, immediately things come into your mind as a definition or a description. Okay? You might just immediately think songs, singing. Singing equals worship. You might think of some stately architecture. If you grew up in kind of a high church tradition, you might hear the word worship and you think of a cathedral or something like that. But my hunch is all of us come with preconceived definitions and descriptions of what it means to worship, okay? And I want to offer you this kind of outline this morning of worship one, two, three, okay? Worship one, two, three. Simple to remember, okay? Worship one, two, three. Worship has one author and object, two contexts, and three audiences, okay? One author and object, two contexts, and three audiences. You think we can fill this in in the time that we have left? What's the author and object? You guessed it? No, you didn't guess it. God, right? God is the author and object of our worship. What are the two contexts? Gathered worship and scattered worship. Gathered worship and scattered worship. And then the three audiences, God, the church, and the world. Okay? God, the church, and the world. So, with your Bibles open to John chapter 4, I want to go to uh, several texts this morning to illustrate 1, 2, 3. Okay? To illustrate 1, 2, 3. So, the Gospel of John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 20 through 24, all right? 20 through 24. Are you there? It's on the screen uh, also. So, 
Jesus is talking to a woman here, a woman at the well in Samaria, and it uh, takes the whole exchange, takes up all of chapter 4, but we're just going to focus on these parts here as Jesus has conversation with her. Um, verse 20, the woman is speaking, and she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, we'll stop right there. Great story, great conversation, a lot we could talk about here, but let me just pull out a few points uh, from these few verses. First of all, if you look, as this woman comes to Jesus, she has an understanding about worship, doesn't she? She has an understanding, she has a tradition that's been handed down to her. If you look at verse 20, she refers to it. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And she means not only her father, but just kind of the tradition that she grew up in, the family that she was brought up in. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That's my tradition. That's my pre-understanding. And all of us, as I said before, we come with certain traditions or understanding of worship, and, and, and if you had this understanding of worship as uh, happening in a cathedral, then that kind of sticks with you throughout life. If you had a tradition of worship that's what we uh, Protestants sometimes call smells and bells, like there's incense and great ornate architecture, smells and bells, then that's kind of the pre conceived idea that you have about worship. And she has that too. This is, this is how my father's taught us to worship. Uh, so not only do we have a tradition, but we notice also in this passage in verse 23 that worship is not just something that the woman does or something that you and I do, but we notice in verse 23 that worship is not just something that humans do, but it's actually something that God wants. Did you catch that? In verse 23, worship begins with God because Jesus says the Father is seeking worshipers. Worship wasn't our idea. Worship is God's idea. And that may seem kind of like, well, you know, that's weird. If God's God and he's big and mighty, why does he want to be worshiped? Is that just kind of, does he have you know, an inferiority complex, or why does he want to be worshipped? He is the greatest thing there is, and so it's right for the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing being who created all things to have all things that he created directed toward him. He wants to be worshipped because he knows that's for our good, and that honors him as the creator God. Verse 23, the Father is seeking worshipers, but he's seeking true worshipers, right? That's the way he describes it. So there must be something that's 
false worship, or there must be something that's not quite true worship, right? But worship begins and is directed towards God. And then Jesus describes how true worshipers would worship. It wouldn't be about the place. It wouldn't be about the mountain. Jesus is getting ready to really change her paradigm. And he's going to say, it's, it's, it's not about place. It's not about time. It's not about space. It's about worshiping. And then he says these, these two words, in spirit and in truth, right? In spirit and truth. And Jesus is saying, worship is not just something, it's, it's not just a ritual that you go about the motions, right? You worship in spirit. You worship from the heart. It's not just going through rituals or, or habits, though we do that as we worship, but worship is spirit, heartfelt, but it's also aligned with the truth. It's not just emotive, but it's, it's aligned with the truth of who God is and what God has revealed, okay? So worship is spirit and in truth. That's one interpretation of this, but I think it goes further because there's another way to interpret spirit and truth here because who do we find out in John is the truth? John chapter 14. And the, answer, the, the right answer is always Jesus, right? Not just in Sunday school, but even in big church, the right answer is Jesus. We find out in, God, in John's gospel that Jesus is the truth. So I think that Jesus is also alluding to the fact here that you worship through me. You worship the Son. You worship Jesus in alignment with the Father. You worship in spirit and in truth. And who is Jesus going to send to his disciples when he ascends to heaven? The Spirit, okay? Incorrect answer would have been Jesus on that one, okay? That would have been a, a time that that answer is wrong. But Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. When I ascend to the Father, I'm going to leave you the Spirit. And so I think this passage is also teaching us that worship is Trinitarian, that we worship Father, Son, the truth, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that indwells all believers. To worship God, this side of Jesus, this side of the cross, is to worship Father, Son, and Spirit. Worship begins with God. He seeks worshipers. He actually draws worshipers. Worship begins and ends and flows to God. You have to actually have God to worship God. Did you catch that? To, able, to be able to worship God, you have to have Jesus. You have to have the indwelling Holy Spirit to worship, to be a true worshiper. That's what Jesus is teaching here. You have to have God to worship God. You worship God according to the spirit and truth, okay? That's one author and object as well as some other stuff, okay? There's one author and object to worship, and it's God. It begins with God, and it ends with God. But secondly, worship has two contexts, gathered worship and scattered Worship, And we've talked about this in, in weeks past. We gather as a church body, and then we scatter as, as Jesus' disciples, as his ambassadors out there. We worship together corporately, and we worship individually as we go out and live our lives. So Jesus, again, says worship isn't just about space. It's not about space and place. 
It's about spirit and truth, but there is this corporate gathering of worship and as well as this scattered worship. So it's true to say that worship isn't just what happens in a church. Worship happens seven days a week, right? So one of my favorite verses for worship, Romans 12, 1. It's going to get on the screen, but some of you know it by heart, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How does Paul define worship? Does he, does he say it's what happens at, on Sundays at 1030? No, but he doesn't. He doesn't say against that. But he defines worship wider to say that worship is offering your whole life as a sacrifice to God. Worship is seven days a week, including Sunday. Worship is seven days a week, including Sunday. We worship as we gather. We also worship as we scatter. So worship has two contexts. And here's why this is important. Because some of us grew up in a context where Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. was the end-all, be-all. And man, we go to church, we go to Mass every day, and we don't miss. But guess what happens? The rest of the week, forget about it. But that worship, that sacred hour is so important. This is where you need a full orb definition of worship, because worship is not just gathered, it's also scattered. But probably more common today is not for those of us that are around church circles to say, oh man, being at church every time the doors are open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's, that's the holy hour. What's more common today is to say, you know what, I don't worship in a building. I don't worship in a church place. I worship with my life. I just worship in my everyday life. I don't gather as a church. That, I, that doesn't do it for me. I feel closer to God in a deer stand than sitting in church. I can flip on the radio throughout the week or stay at home in my jammies and watch church on TV, and that's better for me than gathering as a church. And what are the scriptures and what are Jesus telling us here, I think? Both and both and. The worship gathering of people is important. God has called his people to gather together and worship in, in corporate solidarity and unity together. And he's also called us not to leave it at 1145 on Sunday afternoon, but to take it out Monday through Saturday. In fact, I know a church down in Dallas at every uh, benediction that they give every Sunday after church is over, the pastor ends the service by saying this. He'll say, have a great week of worship. That's pretty cool. Worship is seven days a week and also Sunday. It's both and, and that's why you see the both and here. Let me get to that one. Okay, turn with me now to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to fill this out just a little bit in the time we have remaining. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, okay? Colossians 3, 16 and 17, I want you to catch the both and here, all right? I want you to catch the gathered and scattered. Verse 16, Paul writes this, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you catch the both and? There's actually a couple both ands here. Verse 16 is talking about gathering together, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But what does verse 17 say? It says, in everything you do, right? Not just when you gather, but in everything you do, you're worshiping. You're giving thanks to God the Father. You see the both and? Worship is gathered, but also scattered. Look also in verse 16. Notice also that worship is directed in two directions or to two audiences, to use Cosper's language. Okay, look again at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that. Teaching, admonishing who? One another. The worship gathering benefits you and me. Now, there's some really high-minded people that say, you know what, worship is not about us. And that's partly true. But it's also partly untrue. Because as we worship together, we are teaching, admonishing, and singing. Get, get this, singing to one another. When we sing together, when we pray together, when we read scripture together, we are exalting God, but we're also admonishing and teaching and encouraging one one another as we gather together. Because look at verse, the end of verse 16. He goes on. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. To who? To God. There it is. Worship is vertical as well as horizontal. Worship is singing songs to God. Worship is also singing songs to one another. Do you catch me? So it can sound really pious to say, hey, let's just sing about God. Let's just sing songs that only talk about God and don't talk about humans because, you know, worship isn't about us. It's not about our feelings. And that sounds really high-minded and, and, and pious and, and really spiritual, but the Bible itself doesn't say that. The Bible says exalt God and also admonish one another. We have one object of worship, but worship edifies the church. It builds up the church. It strengthens the church. One more, flip to the left. Ephesians chapter 5, just to nail this, nail deeper. Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 18, okay? Ephesians 5, 18, and I'll read through verse 21. And do not get drunk with wine. Don't do that. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, and he's using this as a contrast. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled, be controlled by the Spirit. And how's that control of the Spirit going to look? He's going to tell us in verse 19. This is what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Addressing who? One another. There's the horizontal again. Bless you. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to who? To the Lord with your heart, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to who? To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to who? To one another. Did I drive that nail deep enough for you? Worship has one author, one object. It begins and is ends and is directed towards God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But it has two contexts, both of which matter. The gathered worship of the local church and the scattered worship of God's people. Both and. One other thing. Let me, get a, let me get on a soapbox here, okay? Look again in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 19. What kind of songs are they singing? You know, songs, nothing gets people upset like music in church. Now look at what Paul says here. He gives us an example Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, are spiritual songs the same things as hymns? I guess not, since he calls them something different. And hymns may not be exactly what you and I call hymns. We can point to some New Testament hymns. Sometimes they were recited, sometimes they were sung. But nevertheless, they're called hymns. And what about psalms? Anybody know any psalms? Yeah, we have a whole book of psalms in the Old Testament, right? And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, when you get together, don't just stare at one another and listen to some guy blab on and on. I should, that's disrespectful, but go on and on about the God's word, but sing to one another. And don't just sing the songs on the radio but sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, what is that telling you and me? Regardless of your musical preference, there are various types of music that God has called us to sing. Some of them are psalms. Some of them are hymns. And some of them are spiritual songs, which the idea there is that they're kind of new. They're new spirit-given songs. So you would gather and you would sing the old songs, you would sing the Psalms of David, but you would always you would also sing spiritual songs, new songs that your worship leader wrote, or Shane and Shane wrote, or Matt Redmond, or whoever it is. So let me ask you a, a, a question, brothers and sisters. Should we sing the old stuff or should we sing the new stuff? Both hands. Put put both hands back up there. Yes. Both and. Because Christians are people tied to the past. Okay, now not locked into the past, but anchored by the past, living in the present. And did you know that Scripture actually commands us to sing a new song? You know that, the, that some of the psalms say, sing a new song to the Lord? Now, that was written, you know, 
thousand years before Christ. So when David wrote that, did he mean, you know, sing a new song in 1000 BC, 999 BC, that's the new song? I don't think so. I think he meant sing a new song today. So let me let me summarize this like this, both and. Okay, some of these are on the screen. Look here, worship and a lot of things in life, by the way, are both and. But worship is both and. Worship is gathered and scattered. Why are you smiling over there? Worship is gathered and scattered, personal and corporate, traditional and contemporary or ancient and new, okay? Exaltation and edification, doctrinal and emotive. All right, let's keep that there right for a second, okay? We've talked about gathering and scattered. We've talked about personal and corporate, ancient and new. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, I don't like hymns. Well, guess what? Some people do. And worship isn't just about you, what you like, and what you prefer, just me and Jesus. Is it about me and Jesus? Yes. But it's also about God, and it's about the church. And if there's a hymn that blesses people, you know what? I might just need to get over it. Because the song that blesses me may not bless someone else. And, and you know what else? If I'm worshiping seven days a week, that I don't have this need for an hour and 15 minutes to go exactly like I want it to go with exactly the songs I want, or else I'm going to be all mad because I'm worshiping all week. And so you know what? There can be a Sunday where, you know, I didn't like that song. And I can get over it. Because it's not just about me. And that takes us to the three audiences, okay? One, object and author. Two, context. And three, audiences. And this is where, just I'm summarizing here, we're getting to the end, okay? Our audience is God, the church, and the world. I don't have time to take us to this passage right now, okay? But what does is, what is the worship have to do with uh, the world? Well, there's a place, look it up later, in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, if, and this, there's a lot of stuff to get through here, okay, in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about speaking in tongues. And Paul says, look, if you're speaking in tongues, and someone who's not a believer, he, Paul actually uses the word unbeliever or outsider, okay? So, like, there's the church, and then there's unbelievers or outsiders to the local church. And Paul says, if, if you guys get together and you're all speaking in tongues and other languages, and some outsider or somebody that's not a believer in Jesus walks in and they see a bunch of people, like all the people, speaking in these tongues that they don't understand, guess what that person's going to think? They're going to think, those, those people are crazy. Some people think that today, yeah? And what's, Paul, what's Paul's conclusion? He says, do things that will edify the body and also people that come in from the outside will actually understand and they won't think, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Now, as we worship as a corporate body, we have to think about, we are, first of all, worshiping God, 
we are edifying the body, and we are also witnessing to the world. Now, there are some church traditions, and there are some church leaders that have decided, you know what, worship, gathered worship is so weird and so funky and so strange that what we ought to do is make our Sunday worship service just feel really comfortable for all the outsiders and all the unbelievers. So let's, let's use as much you know, smoke and lights and mirrors and technology and makeup artists and drama and, uh, you know, what, what, what else? Pyrotechnics. Um, and let's make it the coolest thing in town. And then the outsiders and non-believers, they will want to come and they'll think, wow, this is groovy. Or something some other kind of word that you actually use in 2020. It's lit. You're a dad. How do you know? You're an old man. Not touching that. That is overemphasizing the world. You know what? We can also overemphasize the church. We make it all about us to where we kind of forget about God and we kind of forget about the world. It's like, hey, it's all about us. So just give me seven tips for how to have a successful and happy life because it's just about me. Or we're all happy in our holy huddle held We're all happy in our holy huddle, but to hell with the world, is what I was trying to say. And if unbelievers or outsiders walk up into Centennial Church and they're not greeted kindly and warmly, and they, they think that we're a bunch of freaks, or we're all speaking in tongues, or we're all just seem totally disinterested in them, then we've become ingrown. And so we've overemphasized the church. How could you possibly overemphasize the audience of God, right? That's what you're thinking, you pious spiritual people. Here's how you could overemphasize God. You could have a church, you could have your service in Latin for years and years where nobody could understand it, or it wouldn't be the common. But you go and you're, you're, you're giving to God and you're worshiping God. Or you, can, or you could have a, a, a church service where the music is like from either the 1400s or the 1970s and everybody hates it because it's not contextualized for the people. But you think you're doing something that's ancient, ancient, and therefore God likes it more. I ran out of time. Okay, I ran out of time. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to remember this framework for worship, okay? One, two, three. And don't fall off one side of the horse or the other side of the horse. But try to maintain this paradigm, this grid. And this is what we're attempting to do, though imperfectly, as a church family, okay? Worship Prioritize this gathering 
prioritized worship Monday through Saturday. And come and participate and admonish one another and sing out. And when I see those of you struggling, going through hard stuff in life, and I see you singing and praying, it encourages me because I know Ginger has had a rough year and she's praising Jesus. And when you sing and then we, when you love the people sitting next to you and you pray for them and you encourage them, you bless God's body and you honor the Savior. So I want to give you, as the band comes forward, I want to give you just two questions to think about as we wrap up here, okay? Worship. What's vying for your worship Monday through Saturday? And what is vying for your worship on Sundays? Just bow your head for a moment right now. Think about those questions. Do business with the Holy Spirit, and I'll close us in prayer. you this morning and we approach you as unworthy sinners, as those who have worshipped other things, lesser things, this week, yesterday, this morning, we have not loved you with our whole hearts, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, we have not sought you, but we have neglected you, replaced you, ignored you, God forgive us. Pray that you would help us to be better worshipers, collectively and individually, corporately and personally. Holy Spirit, we ask you to convict the hearts of each person here in this area of worship, what it is Monday through Saturday, what it is Sunday that would impede our worship of you, of you God. God, we ask you to be honored. Should be honest.